Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today there is so much news hitting my timeline and just in video games and pop culture events in general, I wanted to cover one of the ones that was, to me, the most fun and interesting. And that is a GQ interview with the PlayStation head, the head of Sony Interactive Entertainment, Jim Ryan, and the absolute deluge of news that came out of this fairly short interview with GQ. Now, I could only find it on GQ UK, so this might actually be limited to British GQ, just to add a little bit of more puzzlement to the fact that Sony released all this information all at once. And that's part of the conversation I want to have. This is an interview with an outlet that isn't specifically known for breaking video game news. Didn't expect to get a ton of video game news. In fact, this entire preamble to this article describes how they weren't really prepared to get news item after news item after news item from this. When we got offered 20 minutes with the PlayStation boss out of the blue last week, it did seem a bit too easy going to be true. A follow-up to our PS5-related chat last November. And then they go on to say, wow, we got so much information out of this particular talk that we really had to edit it and make sure that it made sense when we put the article together. And before we get into the substance here, and there's a lot of substance to talk about, I do want to talk about their messaging. PlayStation and Sony has been doing a lot of interesting things over the past couple of years in terms of getting their information out. Nintendo has really started to fall into Nintendo Directs and Nintendo Mini Directs, and we've got a certain cadence for Nintendo reveals that we understand. Xbox is somewhat similar. We regularly hear from the folks behind the Xbox brand. They put out blog posts fairly regularly that offer news items uh, that make a lot of sense in terms of getting to the most people. And they have their own branded video series and event series that they go out with the news. PlayStation's a little bit different. PlayStation continues to drop and drab these very big news items in very unexpected places. And so I find that very interesting. One thing that happens here is because so much news was released all at once, they kind of combine in a ball the good news and the bad news in a way that I suspect strategically is useful so that you can kind of cover up some of the bad news, which is delays and difficulties in making PlayStation 5s, which we will talk about as part of this video, with some of the good news that there are games that are on path for release in 2021. Hey, that they're bringing back PlayStation VR, which was a product that I really, really enjoyed, though maybe not as up to technological speed as I would have hoped for, and we'll talk about that as part of this video as well. I think that's probably the strategy here, but when you pick out places like GQ rather than, oh, I don't know, Polygon or IGN or Kotaku or anywhere else that has this kind of big video game presence, you are saying something. You're saying something that says, hey, we are not just about video games. We're not just aiming at a niche audience of already gamers. We are a media enterprise, just like movies or television, and we want to sell ourselves as something that can have an interview that drops big news in GQ or Variety or any other number of places. And I think that makes a lot of sense for the Sony brand, which is clearly kind of ahead of the game in terms of the core gaming audience. Nintendo and their Switch is selling like gangbusters. They outsold the Xbox and the PlayStation this last quarter, and I think this last month. They are doing really, really well, focused on an almost entirely different market from Xbox and Sony, and as we'll talk about as part of this article, PC gamers. And so I think Sony is trying something a little bit different, but as has been the case really since this generation started or even before it, this continues to present some really interesting diversions of what the overall strategy of these various companies is. 
Now, with that all as preamble, and I find it interesting, maybe you do, maybe you don't, let's talk about the substance of what Jim Ryan had to say. GQ starts, since we've got you here, when is everyone who wants to buy a PS5 going to be able to easily buy one? Of course, this is one of the news stories of the past few months. Part of that story, which isn't addressed in this article, is the fact that actual scalpers, people with bot networks and things, are finding ways to get in there and purchase Xbox Series Xs and Ss, PlayStation 5s, before ordinary consumers. And there's even legislation being considered in various jurisdictions to cover that. But even without scalpers and bot networks and everything else, the plain fact remains in pandemic land, it's hard to get these things built. As Jim Ryan says, we're working as hard as we possibly can. There's no reason to disbelieve that because demand for PlayStation 5 remains very, very high. They don't need any of this extra marketing that it's not available on shelves or anything like that, or that they're having all these difficulties with scalpers. It would seem that we can take it on its face that they're just having trouble making the things. You may have read that we sold 4.5 million PS5s at the end of December. That's more than we did PS4s in 2013, the launch year for that system. And that was the high watermark for the PlayStation generation. So he's trying to establish, hey, we have done better than we have done in the past. But of course, seven years on, there's more population. Video games have continued to grow. There's more capacity globally to make these things, but maybe not in such a difficult year as 2020 and 2021. I also thought it was interesting that he describes the new PlayStation 5 owners. One in four of those who bought a PlayStation 5 do not have a PlayStation 4, presumably a 4 Basic or a 4 Pro, and those around about half are new to the PlayStation Network. So they're really finding that adoption of both their PlayStation Network recurring revenue, which is important for them, obviously, just as Game Pass and Xbox Gold is important to Xbox, that that has really, really grown and that the hardcore gamers, the gamers that want to purchase those kinds of PlayStation Network products are the early adopters of the system, which you would expect. A little bit more unusual from my point of view is that so many people that didn't own a PlayStation 4 jumped on with PlayStation 5. And that's going to be an interesting thing to follow because if Sony manages to increase their base even further, they're really going to have a very formidable presence now and well into the future with the PlayStation 5 product. What's holding back production, asks GQ. We'd imagine it's more than just COVID. I think COVID pretty much does the job well on this particular question. Obviously, in a pandemic, supply chains become a little more complicated than would normally be the case. You know, one very visible example is the difficulties in the semiconductor market. Whether it's automobiles, smartphones, PCs, or game consoles, the problems in all those areas are very widely documented. We're working as we always have, but with renewed vigor and energy post-Christmas to get supply up. It will increase as each month passes and the situation will start to get better, hopefully quite quickly. We have been relentless in terms of trying to increase production, and I really can't say any more than that. Now, that comes off as a little bit of a clipped ending there, like he has something more he could say that he's hiding. I don't really necessarily think that is the case. Relentless is an interesting term of art here, especially when we're talking about corporate messaging. It does suggest that he wants to project that Sony is taking extraordinary steps to try to get their production up because of the demand for the PlayStation 5. But references to the semiconductor market, automobile, smartphones, game consoles, all suggest what we have seen in various aspects of the press and what folks have said about getting all these things out to the global populace at this point in time, which is that there's a limited number of factories and goods and materials and services to be rendered to a large amount of potential products. 
And like Xbox, Sony is having to deal with getting factory space and time and making these things actually come to fruition and be produced and sent out all over the globe. And I tend to agree with Jim Ryan's answer here that 4.5 million is pretty impressive for the end of 2020 going into 2021. I think in general, we will see an enhanced marketing and manufacturing ability for the PlayStation 5 going throughout 2021. But that's going to lead us into questions about games. GQ continues, fair enough. We imagine you've got a roadmap for 2021 in terms of the games that you want to release. How fixed is that given the disruptions COVID-19 has caused to development? Returnal recently got pushed back a month. Yeah, says Jim Ryan, we're feeling pretty good about Returnal, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and Horizon Forbidden West. Now, it's important to take a step back here. That is not a list of games that Mr. Jim Ryan came up with off the top of his head. Those were the games that he intended to say looked like they were on pace when he entered into this interview. In fact, we will see what happens when you try to ask him about a different game shortly in the GQ interview itself. So Returnal, Ratchet and & Clank, and Horizon are things that Sony thinks can come out this year. Returnal now in late spring, Ratchet & Clank currently set for the summer, and presumably Horizon Forbidden West set for the fall. I think right now, if you just want to take Sony at its face, these are probably the only games you can rely on coming out from Sony first party in 2021. Now, if that's missing a few names to you, we'll get to that in just a second. But these are the things that Sony thinks they can say as of February. But especially with Horizon, which looks like it's slated for that fall holiday release window, you should probably take it with a grain of salt because COVID is making trouble for developers across the video game industry spectrum. Nothing wrong with any of the developers that are having those issues, but we are seeing delays happen and we're seeing them be more significant as the window in which these game developers have had to operate in COVID land has increased, right? Last year in 2020, we saw Final Fantasy VII Remake get delayed a little bit. We saw The Last of Us Part II get delayed a bit. We saw Ghost of Tsushima probably get delayed. I don't know that we ever had a date that was before the date that they ultimately announced the release of that game, but everything probably slid a little bit. But when COVID starts, you lose a month or two, and it's a sliding scale. When you operate for a year with those pandemic restrictions working from home, you didn't just lose a month or two. You probably start to lose four or five or six months. So all of 2021 slate of video games should be taken with a grain of salt until they're in your hands or downloaded digitally onto your hard drive. But this is what Sony thinks they can get out. They wouldn't say it if they didn't believe it. Now we get a little bit of an interesting side note, a subtweet, if you will, from the Sony head. And you know, there are two approaches to this. You can either hold the date and put out the game irrespective of quality, or you can ship it when it's right. We have always taken the latter approach. We wait until we're confident in the product we want to release to you. There have been some fairly high-profile instances of publishers trying the former approach. I, you got to love corporate speak when it starts talking like this. What could you possibly be referring to, Sony? You wouldn't be referring to the fact that you took away the... PlayStation Network support for Cyberpunk 2077 after CD Projekt Red had so many difficulties with its launch. And as we pointed out in our videos on that subject, had so many difficulties apparently communicating with their manufacturer partners like Sony 
and like Microsoft. I labeled this Sony's had it because every indication was that Sony wasn't prepared for CD Projekt Red to just start offering refunds out of Sony's pocket. They didn't communicate with Sony in advance. They told Sony that all the things that were happening during the certification process would get fixed. Then they blamed their quality assurance people. And Sony basically came out as strongly as you can in corporate messaging land and said, absolutely not. We're not going down for this. Get off our store. And so when you then see a couple of months later with Cyberpunk 2077, as far as I know, still not restored to the PlayStation Network store, and you have the head of PlayStation come out and say, well, you know, some folks just don't care about quality like we do. And then GQ actually links their own reference here to the 2077 story. Well, that's corporate subtweeting. And I, of course, find that terribly, terribly interesting. Sony and CD Projekt Red are going to have some bridges to mend for a very, very long time. That's one way of putting it, says GQ. It never works at the best of times. Uh, Jim Ryan here talking about giving up quality in order to hit a specific time frame. But I think in this world where creative people are working remotely, you've just got to respect the fact that development needs to take what it needs to take to get the games Right. And I think that's the right message that you want to hear. And again, you can take this with a grain of salt. You can interpret it however it needs to be interpreted. This is all specifically done as a marketing initiative for Sony and for PlayStation. But what he is saying here as a message is, I think, entirely appropriate. At some point, you have to say COVID is weird. And it's great that we can do all this stuff networked. It's great that we can make video games separated by miles and miles and miles, but it slows things down, even if just on the margins. And the longer and further you were out from actually releasing, from going gold and getting this into people's hands, the more that's going to impact your timeline. And we just don't know because we haven't experienced it all that long, although this year obviously feels like a decade for most of us. We haven't experienced the impacts of the game development process for that long. So Jim Ryan says, look, it'll come out when it comes out, but we think these three games, Returnal, Ratchet, and Horizon, are close enough that I feel comfortable saying that they will come out now. GQ continues, so one game you didn't mention that that had been dated for 2021 is Gran Turismo 7. What's going on with that one? And I love this description of the PR. At this point, a PR representative for Sony jumped into the call promising a statement on GT7 probably in the hope that we'd actually ask about some of the many new announcements. You can read that statement below. Gran Turismo 7 has been impacted by COVID-related production challenges and therefore will shift from 2021 to 2022. With the ongoing pandemic, it's a dynamic and changing situation and some critical aspects of game production have been slowed over the past several months. We'll share more specifics on GT7's release date when available. And of course, this is what I was mentioning, talking about all of these various news items coming out at once with good and with the bad. And it's notable here that Gran Turismo 7, which was one of 2021's major releases that Sony had aimed at 2021, is going to slip into 2022 because that leaves you with the three games that Jim Ryan mentioned and one other that GQ didn't appear to mention. Now, this is actually an edited interview. They actually describe it as such in the earlier paragraphs. And it would surprise me if they didn't mention simultaneous to this comment or after this comment the major release that I think a number of people are really waiting for in 2021, which is, of course, God of War Ragnarok. Now, since this was announced in September of last year in the midst of the pandemic with very little to show for it, whenever you've got a teaser trailer, you got to even take those dates reference with a bigger grain of salt. I've always thought personally that 2021 seemed like a very unlikely 
release date. But Sony's release schedule starts to look a little bit thin with only the three games that Mr. Ryan mentioned. Now, it's entirely possible that in the GQ interview, they actually asked about God of War Ragnarok and they said, we're not going to say a thing and you better not put that in the interview. And there was no commentary coming out this very day on the status of God of War Ragnarok. I think if you love God of War and you love Sony PlayStation and the PlayStation 5, I would very much suggest that you assume that it's not coming out this year and be surprised if by some miracle it does release this year. But it's notable that not only does it not appear in this interview, even as referenced like GT7, but it doesn't appear in it at all, which suggests to me that Sony and PlayStation, they don't want to talk about that game, period. Why? Well, because they've got some exciting more news to share. All right, PlayStation VR 2, the second PlayStation VR. What are we calling it at the moment? It's an interesting segue, right? And this just goes to show the edited nature of this interview. We have no reason to believe there is a PlayStation VR 2 when GQ starts asking this question, which also suggests that they were told that there was a PlayStation VR 2 or that there's some interregnum period here where they asked other questions, maybe about God of War Ragnarok or otherwise. We're not calling it anything at the moment, says Jim Ryan. So the obvious question is what's changed from the first headset? So... This will be a completely new VR format for PS5. PlayStation has considered VR as a strategic opportunity and big innovation story. Changes will be things like moving to a very easy single cord setup with this one and many other similar learnings. Now, I want to take a step back because I love virtual reality. The year of virtual reality, when all those headsets came out, which I think was maybe, what, 2016? I might get that year wrong, so please feel free to correct me in the comments to this video, but that was a year where I was excited starting on New Year's Day. We were finally going to get VR helmets and they were really going to work. And I enjoyed watching all the preview materials and I very much enjoyed my PlayStation VR. But it should be said that it is absolutely ridiculous to set up. And not only is it ridiculous to set up, especially in the PlayStation 5 era, you lose all of the sorts of enhancements that a PlayStation 5 game can give with audio and with resolution and things like that when you have to hook up this interceding box between your PlayStation and the TV, so much so that even though I have a lot of PlayStation VR games and I have a helmet sitting right next to my TV, I don't have it hooked up to my PlayStation 5 because it just doesn't make sense. And so Jim Ryan going out there and saying, hey, look, it's just going to be one cord that goes into your PlayStation 5 is great. That's a big improvement over what the PlayStation VR is. He also says probably new resolutions, potentially new handsets, things along those lines. But it's also worth noting that by the time this thing actually releases, and he says it's not this year, we can assume it's next year, maybe, it's going to be a long time distant from when the PlayStation VR released. And in the intervening period, you've had these magical things like the Oculus Quest, which if you haven't tried one, is magical because it doesn't have any cords at all. You set the space that you're going to operate in, you do VR in it, and it's a wonderful experience, the kind that really relates to me, like what I had expected from VR at the start. Now, you can check out the rest of Virtual Legality for the videos on why I don't have an Oculus Quest 2 and why I think connecting it with the Facebook Terms of Service isn't a great idea. But it's still worth noting that even talking about one cord at this point in time, or more specifically, at a point in time in the future, is not the leap forward that I would have hoped for Sony and virtual reality itself. I also want to give them credit, though, which is there was a real risk that VR would be abandoned by Sony and PlayStation in this generation, and that would have made me sad. I like a lot of VR experiences. In fact, one of the very best experiences that I've had in VR is barely a video game, as much as it's a weird, interactive, time-traveling story that I couldn't recommend more. 
It's called The Invisible Hours. I played it, I think, in 2018. Uh, and if VR comes to PlayStation 5 and it manages to enhance games like this, I will play it again. It is a very, very interesting narrative-driven game uh, that I couldn't recommend more. It would have been on the top of one of my lists uh, had I made one in the year that it came out. Uh, but I am very hopeful that Sony and its partners will continue to make innovative and interesting games like this. And I am overall happy that VR will continue to be supported by one of the major players in the industry. I just had hoped that you could do something that was wireless and is just inherently cool as Oculus Quest with perhaps maybe not the limitations either by contract or legal ease that Oculus Quest brings to the table. Now, Jim Ryan also gets a little bit standoffish when pressed on further differences and things that we should get excited about with respect to VR2. So the big difference, which you mentioned before, is that it's only going to be one cord that connects, right? Well, that was a very simple, invisible illustration of a lesson that we've learned when iterating from the present system to the new one. We're, we're not actually releasing any specs at this stage. That will start to come over the course of this year, when we'll be talking more. Now, ordinarily, I'd say, hey, maybe that'll be in a PlayStation State of Play video. Heck, at this point, it might be an interview in some kind of automotive magazine. We just don't know what Sony's plans are going to be. So overall, I'm excited that it exists. I'm excited that we'll get to support the games that I love in PlayStation VR land. I'm not as excited about the cord, but I'm sure Sony can continue to make it fun. The PS5's launch lineup was very bullish, says GQ. Can we expect the same for this new PSVR? Hey, we're not saying anything specific about this. Stop asking me about specifics. But we will launch our new VR system with appropriate software support. Non-committal, but hey, there'll be some software that we release with it whenever we release it, which will be sometime after now. The final really big piece of news here that apparently some people are bent out of shape about, and these are generally console warriors and not the kinds of things that I would recommend. If you love video games, you should love video game successes across consoles. You should want more people to be able to play the games you love wherever you can find them, is this notion about PC ports. So, Releasing PlayStation games on PC was something that Sony PlayStation held back on for a long time. Now it sounds like you're very much on that bandwagon. What changed? I think a few things changed, says Jim Ryan. We find ourselves now in early 2021 with our development studios and the games that they make in better shape than they've ever been before. Now that might be in better shape for the next four or five year period. Certainly 2021 seems like it's going to be a little slim from Sony first party. Particularly from the latter half of the PS4 cycle, our studios have made some wonderful, great games. There's an opportunity to expose those great games to a wider audience and recognize the economics of game development, which I love as a phrase, right? What does recognize the economics of game development mean to you or to me? It means we're going to make some money, yo. And there's nothing wrong with that. He continues by saying, hey, the cost of making games goes up with each cycle as the caliber of the IP has improved. Objection. We'll talk about that in a second. Also, our ease of making it available to non-console owners has grown. So it's a fairly straightforward decision for us to make. So let's unpack all of that, right? Look, we've got a product. Let's call it, oh, I don't know, Days Gone. And Days Gone is a product that sold pretty well on the PlayStation 4. Hogue loves it. We'll talk about that as well in a second. But we want to make more money off it. We're not entirely certain how. Well, the cost of making games has gone up. So how can we go and leverage the cost that we have spent in making that game in the best way possible? Well, we can put it on PC. And at the same time that we want to decide to do that, as he describes it, our ease of making it available to non-console owners has grown. 
right? The architecture of the PlayStation rather than the cell processor of the PlayStation 3 area, now with PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, is very compatible with the computers that play games on Steam or GOG or Epic Game Store, wherever else you might find them. And so Sony can look at it and say, well, it's not going to cost us that much to port it over. We think a lot of people are going to like it. And hey, we want to go and recoup some of our investment. Also, the investment doesn't matter that much. They just want to make more money. This is following on from your publishing Horizon Zero Dawn on PC in August of last year. How did that go? Well, says Jim Ryan, we assessed the exercise in two ways. Firstly, in terms of the straightforward success of the activity of publishing the game on PC, people liked it and they bought it. Again, about that money we wanted to make, yo, we made it. We also looked at it through the lens of what the PlayStation community thought about it. There was no massive adverse reaction to it, so we will continue to take mission steps in this direction. Now, this is important. It's also maybe a little bit not as straightforward as he would suggest. So, Again, the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 architecture makes porting easier, makes it more efficient, and we could have expected them to want to lean in that direction really since the start of the PlayStation 4 generation. They then put Horizon Zero Dawn out there. It had some difficulties, if I recall correctly, needed to be patched at the front end. People still liked it, gave it good reviews. Horizon's a good game, so you would expect that, and Sony made some money. People liked it, and they bought it. The other thing that he wants to suggest here is that it was a bit of a trial balloon. And I think it probably was on kind of a 50-50 basis, but there would have had to have been significant negative reaction to really overwhelm the money that Sony could have made here. And if there was negative reaction, it's been muted. And you can see it even today with an interview like this one online, on Twitter, wherever you might find yourself on social media, you can see people conversing about the fact that, oh, PlayStation gamers are getting hurt in some fashion by allowing PC gamers to play these games. That wasn't massive enough, either at the point in time when Horizon was released, or presumably now today, to prevent Sony from going and getting that pot of money that they now see available on Steam or elsewhere on PC. It does, however, suggest that if people really, really hated it, There was a level of anger and loudness that they could have achieved to tell Sony that that shouldn't be done. I don't love that messaging uh, because I don't think it's great to encourage folks to express themselves in that way. But I also understand why even maybe though I would consider it irrational, people could get angry about PlayStation games coming over to the PC. And I I see it this way. I, I don't think of things this way. I think that more games should be available to everybody. But there is a notion that Sony has throughout its history, and especially these past two generations, sold itself as the walled garden. Hey, if you want to play the best of the best, these first-party studio over-the-shoulder action games, which is maybe all we make now, but they are the best at it. If you want to play these things, you have to pay the cover charge to get into our club or our bar, however you want to think about this. If you pay that cover charge, you're going to get access to these things. And at some point, PlayStation says, we're going to put these games on PC, we're going to put them on Steam, and some PlayStation players say, hey, well, look, I paid the cover charge. They didn't They didn't pay the cover charge, at which point you can feel like you were taken advantage of a little bit. It's an emotional reaction. I don't recommend it. And I would ask if you have those thoughts, leave a comment to this video. We could talk about it as part of the conversation. But I do understand how it could come to be, which is one of the reasons I think you see Sony doing something that I consider to be pretty smart, which is that they aren't moving things over to PC, at least as of right now, day and date. They're taking a game like Horizon that was already a little bit old uh, when they released it as a PC port. They're putting it on there. The game that you see referenced here that Jim Ryan is moving over to PC is 
actually going to be uh, Days Gone, which I don't think I highlighted here, but Days Gone is the game that was referenced first. Again, like Invisible Hours, highly recommend Days Gone. I never finished my list from 2019. Days Gone was my number three game of the year. Please feel free to leave a comment to this video telling me how silly I am to love Days Gone as much as I did, but warning, I will defend my stance vociferously. Either way, Days Gone is a little bit old. 2019 coming out on PC in 2021. If you give people what amounts to a year or two of exclusivity, I think Sony thinks that's enough for the club cover charge and that people aren't going to get too upset about it. One interesting thing in following this story might be to see how close does that date of release come to the PC port? Can they get it down to six months? Because while PlayStation owners could get upset, PC owners are more likely to buy things that are newer to them. So you're starting to try to balance this, which is all economics really is, is balancing supply and demand, balancing consumer expectations on both sides of the spectrum. And it will be very interesting to watch them try to approach this. But make no mistake, Sony's going to be releasing a lot more games on PC. And I think consumers in the future of the PlayStation brand will be well advised to take that into consideration. Maybe I don't need to pay the cover charge. Maybe I don't need to actually subscribe to the PlayStation ecosystem directly to get most of what I think are the big benefits of being a PlayStation fan. You also see some other references here by Mr. Ryan talking about how he wants to continue to see certain games release day and date on the PlayStation Plus program, a little bit similar to Game Pass, but of course, PlayStation Plus is required to keep access to those games. If you lose access to the PlayStation Plus, you're gonna lose access to those games. So it's a little bit of a different concept. And then he gives a shout out to one of my favorite games on the PlayStation 5 so far, which is Astro's Playroom, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. And leads us to the last point that I wanted to make about Mr. Ryan, which isn't limited solely to this GQ interview. He also was doing a bit of a tour and got over to, I believe it was Famitsu over in Japan, which I can't give the primary source material here because it's in Japanese, but which was translated as trying to show that PlayStation still believed in a Japanese audience, even though they were clearly pressing more and more and more into the Western markets. We're really happy and proud of the PS Studios titles that have been released by Worldwide Studios. Some of them have already been announced and others are in the works. SIE Interactive Entertainment also has strong relationships with licensees in Japan. So we will continue to strengthen our ties with them and develop titles made in Japan for PlayStation fans around the world. And Japan is a very interesting story. Sony, obviously a Japanese company, has been losing the fight pretty significantly to Nintendo that has taken over the Japanese audience. You have all sorts of articles and thoughts and theories about why that is, going back to the fact that the Switch is a kind of portable system and Japanese audiences have always flocked to that portability when the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5 don't offer that as an option at all. Regardless of how you think about that, this is a signal, right, that Jim Ryan wants you to believe that Sony cares about Japan. There's a reason he finishes his article talking about a Japanese-made game, Astro's Playroom, even though it didn't separately make money for PlayStation 5. There's a reason he comes out at the very same time with an interview that says Japan is important to Sony, is regardless of what they are doing behind the scenes, they want you to think they're doing a lot. And maybe they are. We don't know. But certainly Microsoft continues to make inroads with various companies, continues to be on the acquisition terror that they are on. And so Sony wants to at least act a little bit defensively about that territory with both Nintendo and Microsoft eagerly looking at what could be a potential profitability boon for them if Sony were to effectively bow out. So it's a very interesting day 
from Mr. Ryan in places like Famitsu, which are game related, but also in places like UK GQ, in which we wouldn't expect such big PlayStation news to drop. So I think it's well worth following what Jim Ryan and Sony and PlayStation do for the remainder of the year. They might have a fairly thin release schedule, and it will be interesting to see exactly how they try to keep the marketing snowball rolling across 2021 and into 2022, where presumably they will have a bigger on-ramp to onboard people into the PlayStation ecosystem, while at the same time, perhaps introducing their games to more and more PC players. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy conversations about the business and law of things like video games, movies, music, television, and pop culture, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon. We've got Streamlabs tips. We've got shirts to sell. Reasonable Minds Can Differ, Virtual Legality logo, all sorts of fun stuff. Or if you don't want to go that far, every little bit helps. Just consider subscribing, ringing bells, doing dances, whatever pleases the YouTube algorithm, and telling your friends that we're having conversations like this in this space. I love seeing the growth at the channel. I love seeing the additional conversations that people are having in the comments of these videos, including a bunch of people who think I'm wrong about basically everything. I love seeing that as well. Reasonable minds can differ. Disagreement is the spice of life. And that's how we improve ourselves and our knowledge about what we think about the things that we think about. Thank you so much for checking this out. If you checked it out on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.